Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. SLGND is back again. It's the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. Post-trade deadline edition of the program, forward Matthias Yanmark acquired by Vegas, and a notable debut. His line produced three of the night's six goals, a 6-2 win in Los Angeles. We talk Yanmark's background, the mechanics of the trade, how he fits with the Knights, new look third line with Tuck, Nosek, and Yanmark. We look around the league, we put Marc-Andre Fleury's play in historic context, and Gary's got an air travel story for you. It's a post-trade deadline edition of SLGND, the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. And now, here's Dave! Good job, Dan. I tell you, you're in playoff form. Playoff form here, we're still a few weeks away, but um, the Golden Knights uh, heating up as well. Thank you very much. As always, I am some guy named Dave. Dave Gosher, along with Shane Knighty, Gary Lawless, and the dulcet tones of Dan Duva. The Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave podcast. So uh, the Golden Knights, as we sit here on a Thursday morning, have uh, turned things around. They had struggled a bit, lost four out of five, and now they've ripped off four consecutive wins. Most recently, a pretty convincing uh, two wins against the LA Kings. So, uh, and of course, the trade deadline in the NHL has come and gone, and the Golden Knights do address a need. Uh, the Admetius Yanmark from the Chicago Blackhawks, and he, along with Tomas Nosek and Alex Tuck, uh, were flying in the debut for that line on Wednesday in Los Angeles. So we'll start uh, as we usually do with uh, with Shane and get his uh, his cogent thoughts here. Uh, so Shane, you're th- just how have they been able to kind of turn it around? They hit this dip, right? They lost four to five, having trouble scoring, big guys having trouble scoring. And now over the last stretch of games, they've won four in a row. And progressively gotten better when you look at those games. You know, scoring was an issue. They were able to, you know, unleash on Arizona. Scoring and starts. So that first game against Arizona, right out of the gates, probably the most dominant performance we saw, out shooting 17-1, up 4 nothing. first 8-44 into the game. Uh, and then, you know, you take your foot off the pedal a bit in that game. Not, you know, got a little loose defensively. Uh, next game against Arizona, they... Do a team high low with shots against 14. Locked it right up. And, and what I liked about that is, although it wasn't perfect defensively, they may, you know still had some turnovers, a little bit of sloppy play, but they didn't turn one or two mistakes into three or four where that can cause a goal against. So, you know, you got the offense in one game. They only needed one goal in the next, but they defensively. And then these two games set against LA, I thought they put it all together. Much better performance, more complete games. Uh, looked really good. Uh, I liked the game last night. I thought uh, they played well. There's pockets. You know, LA had some pressure, but not a lot. Not a lot. You know, you look at the power play goal. More got it went off White Cloud. It was going about four feet wide. Hit him. Went in. So a little bit of luck. And then you know, Moore had another goal. But outside of that, I thought uh, a strong game. So every team is gonna you know in a long season you have those little lapses, and you'd rather it happen kind of when it did than in this final stretch of games they're in. So they've been able to turn it around. This is a time of season and good teams turn it up. You have to because uh, there is a little desperation from the teams out of playoffs because guys are playing for jobs, for positions for next year, whatever the case may be. And then the teams that are in playoffs are trying to hit their top stride. You need to turn it up. So, so uh, seeing some really good things here over the last four games. Lawman, they've, um, they've been able to, to turn this around and, 
the game, the most recent game as we sit here now, the, the L.A. game with the addition of Yanmark, uh, Tomas Nosek and Alex Tuck. And I was thinking about it as I was watching and listening to you guys last night. So Tuck has started to heat up again. Nosek's playing the best soccer we've ever seen him play with the Golden Knights, had another goal in the last game. And then you drop Matias Yanmark into this lineup on that line with two guys that are, especially with Nosek, who's been playing well over the last 15 games or so. And then Yanmark looked like he was rejuvenated in the game, the first game coming to a new team last night. What did you see? Well, you know, I talked to Ed Olchick yesterday, and he said to me he loved Yanmark early, but he thought that the Blackhawks actually, they were showcasing him and playing him too much. And it wore him down a little bit. And he said, he goes, he said, he's a third line guy. If you give him third line minutes, he'll really excel. And I think we saw that last night. Two things that that I liked about him on the first goal that was scored, the puck is in is deep in the Vegas zone, and I think it's Martinez moves it up along the wall, and Yanmark makes a nice play to make sure the puck gets out of the defensive zone. And Shane, you know, coaches love that, right? That, that he understands his positional play, does what he's supposed to do, doesn't worry about you know making an offensive play at that time, looks after his own end first make sure the puck gets out, and he makes the play on the wall, takes out the pinching defenseman. And then on the second goal, the the tuck goal, his middle lane drive, I think is so crucial to that goal because guys don't, a lot of guys don't want to do it. He did it. He goes right down the middle of the ice, drives the net, he pushes everybody back, it gives Tuck room and allows Tuck to do what he does uh, with a, a very nice goal. And th- those are small things that you, that you you know, that's not what we would see or, or what Shane might see it, but it's not what the, the casual fan would see immediately about a player, but it's what scouts like Vaughn Carpen, Jim McKenzie, Vince, Vince Williams, Mick McCrimmon, it's what they would have been looking for in Yanmark when they were building their book on him that they handed over to McPhee, to George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon to acquire the players. So really like the small things, the details in Yanmark's game. You know, Dan, when you think about it, the third line for the Golden Knights, Shane and I were kind of kicking this around um, recently. It's always kind of been a little bit of a work in progress, even back to year one. You know, you think about they had those top two lines that were were pretty steady for them and, and huge contributors. Even last year, right, it wasn't until they get into the bubble and they, they had added Cousins and, and, and they put him with Wah and Tuck where they started to have a consistent third line. Same thing this year, right? And I know it's only one game. It's a small sample size. But, you know, the returns, the early returns are really good for that trio. It looked like they had played together before. It looked like they'd had chemistry, kind of instant chemistry in their first game. And even last year, think about Alex Tuck as a third-line guy. But he was in and out, had a lackluster regular season. By the time the playoffs rolled around, there were contributions there. You talk about picking up cousins and Guys up and down in the lineup, it wasn't as locked in as it is now. And now this year, Tuck has this incredible run. Um, of, of, it's it's remarkable that the goal production starting in mid to late February that goes about a month, and then he more or less disappears. So you have these segments of 18 games where he has all these goals, all these points, and then the next group of 18 games where he has one point and it's an empty net goal. Now he's got a few points here in the last couple of games, maybe starting to find it. I think that the other part of what you like from Alex Tuck as a mainstay on the third line is how good he's been defensively. You put him on the penalty kill, 
He's talked to us about how that has helped him realize the importance, the finer points of playing at both ends of the ice, just that little addition of playing on the penalty kill. So you, you throw in, you know, Alex Tuck is among the Golden Knights leaders in plus minus. I'm not sure we would have projected that. Now you throw in, he's got the point production coming again. He's got the 15 goals. And then there's Tomas Nosek. 15 points in 19 games. As you know, maybe you could think he could do something like that for five, six, seven games, maybe. But here it is. It's 19 points, seven goals, eight assists in that stretch in 19 games. That is a total season output average over his first few years with the Golden Knights. And he's done it in 19 games. So all of that's starting to click. And then here's Yanmark, who I think just complements those two as, as well uh, as anybody you could pick uh, available, I guess, at the market. Maybe there were other guys who would have been more of a splash, but I think we all know that it's not as simple as acquiring the the, the fantasy draft kind of a player. Right? This isn't fantasy sports. Yanmark might be the right complement. It's almost like Chandler Stevenson's acquisition a couple of years ago, where not terribly splashy. Uh, you know, it's Chandler Stevenson. He's fourth line guy for Washington on a very good team. How does he fit in here? Well, now he's the Golden Knights' top line center. So. Uh, it does need to be splashy. It's just interesting to see how they've complemented each other. The speed is there. And I think that uh, you've got some some growth with Tuck, who's going to turn 25 in May. Both Nosek and Yanmark are 28 years old, and they've had some uh, deep playoff experience, too. And uh, it's it's exciting to see when you've got that fresh chemistry, that added communication to see what they can do together, that they're clearly uh, playing some of the best hockey that we've seen from that third line at any point in the last three years. It's really a testament to, you know, that opportunity grabbing hold and the confidence you can build. You watch Tomasz Nosek. Last night's might be the fastest I've seen him move. Skating. You think about it because you play to your, play to your role. You know, when he's on that fourth line, it's more of a dump, chase, grind. That, that's the, the mentality and that's the mindset for those guys is to kind of wear down. Now he's, a, he's allowed that opportunity to, to really up his game and, and be more creative offensively. But when you're playing with Tuck and now you got Yanmark, you better be moving. And, and he, he just looks quicker. He, he looks quicker last night in that game, uh, just the way he's moving. And I think that, you know, it's a combination of confidence and the guys he's with. So uh, you talk about the growth of those two, Dan. I think that's huge. Alex Tuck, you know, we knew he was going to continue to grow his game. But the growth of Tomas Nosek has been a huge boost for this team. Well, it's unsophisticated. But if you take, uh, if you look around the third lines in the NHL, uh, and if you if this was Vegas's third line and they had to play together all year, um, they would be fifth in scoring amongst, amongst all third lines that have played a certain number of minutes. And... Uh, you know that really, and maybe even fourth after last night, depending on what Colorado's third line did. And that really, to me, is you know we know that Nosek is really responsible defensively. Tuck has added this layer to his game where you know he really uses his speed to create back pressure and to to try and disrupt things when the opposition gets the puck. And uh, uh, just and now Yanmark, he's going to fall in line with that speed and and the way the other guys are playing. All of a sudden. You, you can put three shifts together now in a game where if you have, you know, the stone line dominates, the Carlson line dominates, and then you put that line out, you get three good shifts in a row, three shifts that you win in a row, now you got momentum. You know, and I'll throw in, Gary, just the thought that we mentioned it during the broadcast. If you had never seen the Knights play 
and you watched the game against the Kings, you didn't know who any of the players were, you might have thought that the Tuck, Yanmark, Nosek line was at least the number two, maybe even the number one line. If you had never seen them play and you didn't know who any of the players were. And I think back to what Tomas Nosek told us a few games ago when was asked about this stretch of play. And he can only compare it to what he did during the Calder Cup playoffs in 2018. He was a top-line center with Tyler Bertuzzi and Martin Furk. And in that postseason for the Grand Rapids Griffins, who won the Calder Cup that year, he had 22 points in 19 games. That's 10 goals, 12 assists in 19 games. That's comparable to the numbers I just gave you a minute ago. 19 games. 15 points, 7 goals, 8 assists. So a little bit better during that Calder Cup playoff run, but you get the idea. He's playing about two minutes more per game now than he had been earlier in the season, and it's almost like the player that he was at the American League has now come to life at the National League level. Well, and Dave, use your BU, BU math. Hold on. Not that I'm creating controversy. Uh, which line has more goals, two or three? Uh, this season? We're all, yeah. What do you mean, right now? Oh, three. Right now. Three. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, it's – and that, Shana, to your point, and I've, I've wondered aloud, were they going to have enough to make a deep playoff run if they didn't add a forward? You know, we've kind of talked about this a lot. Um, this edition of Yanmark, now to Gary – you know, you look – all right, now they've got three lines that you can put out there that could drive offense. Um, and especially uh, – two parts. The emergence of Nosek, who, you know, it's kind of been well-documented. Had a great camp, COVID, misses time, the whole nine yards. And now you add Yanmark to the mix. Um, if you're going to put a depth chart up of what they can do against Colorado now, now you're talking, you know. And I think just myself personally, I had concerns about how as good as they've been and how many good things they've done this year, how far could they go? Well, now, and again, it's one game with Yanmark, but I also think, Shane, he's playing more probably where he should be in the lineup, yeah. right? Compared to where he was in Chicago, you know, more in that third-line role like he was with Dallas when they when they beat Vegas last year and went to the cup final. And not, let's not overlook what the fourth line has done lately. Will Carrier, Nick Waugh, uh, Keegan Colasar before he got hurt. These guys all of a sudden, all their offensive numbers have come up in the last 15 games. So, you know, that's that, that just bold, that's that's about building from the bottom and not, the you know, from the depth. That shows, you know, they're growing at the right time. The Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave podcast is always brought to you by Finley Automotive, Chevy, Lincoln, Jag, Acura, the great people at Finley. Uh, they are the best in the business. Quick reminder, quick note, if um, so, the Golden Knights, now, I think we're up to about 23% capacity, and uh, which is about almost 4,000 fans. If you're, if you're in the, if the spirit moves you, tickets are available for the next two Golden Knights home games, April 19th and 21st against San Jose. Uh, check it out, VegasGoldenKnights.com slash tickets. Um, but the 19th and the 21st of April against San Jose, if, uh, if you'd like to see the Golden Knights, uh, which is rare that any tickets would be available at any time, but uh, go online and check it out. Lawman, we mentioned the trade deadline, the Golden Knights, how tight they were to the cap. Um, how this deal came late. I think Kelly McCrimmon said only with a couple of hours left in the trade deadline. Two-part question. How close were they to not doing anything because of the cap constraints, and how did this deal ultimately come about? Well, they they got together with San Jose about a week before the deadline and said, we have no space. We're going to need a broker. Will you act as a broker for us? 
And I think they determined a price on, you know, the, probably there was probably a different scale there if it was, you know, if San Jose had to pick up certain uh, certain number of dollars, it was going to be this pick. If it was going to be this number of dollars, it was going to be that that high of a pick. So they got that in place. And then I think they worked on some big things. Uh, you know, Kelly McCrimmon doesn't talk about it, but uh, if you, you know, listen to what everyone is saying, they, they were... They talked. To, they they kicked tires on Taylor Hall. They kicked tires on Felino, and they kicked tires on Getzlaff. And um, you know, uh, I'll be honest. Like the Yanmark pickup, I like. I'm not going to say which ones, but I like that pickup better than some than some of those other possibilities. So uh, and the and for the price, uh, I think that. You know, they kept their first and they kept New Jersey's second, which I think is a really valuable pick uh, this year. It's going to be high in the second round, and it's going to be like that pick that they used to select Nick Hegg. We all know how well that worked out. And, Dan, the you know, the Golden Knights in the win over L.A., and Shane and I were not doing the game. Uh, so a lot of times what I like to do is listen to the radio fellas when uh, we're not doing the game, when we're busy doing nothing. The story you told to Matthias Janmark last night and him missing the entire 2016-17 season, um, knee surgery, but for those that maybe missed it last night, there was a lot more to it than just having knee surgery and missing a season. Yeah, normally you think about knee surgery and it's, you know, a torn ACL or MCL, something of that nature, and that's a common enough sports injury that there's a timetable to it, and it's an unfortunate injury. The rehab is very difficult, but it's been done so often before. You can sort of project out. You do X, Y, and Z. You'll be back in X number of months. What happened with Yanmark was not a sports-related injury. It was a rare genetic condition that affected the joint in his knee. He talked about it practice one day. He just all of a sudden couldn't bend his knee. And I'll spare you the long version of the story, but in investigating, the doctors said we could do a couple of different things. We could try to save your knee with the cartilage that's already in there, or we could take cartilage from a cadaver. Oh, and by the way, we have no idea if this is going to work, and if it does, we have no idea if you can ever play hockey again. Now think about all of this, and this was after his first full NHL season. And it was a good one. He had 15 goals for the Dallas Stars. He had been playing in his native Sweden prior to that. So he goes through it all. And even after the surgery takes place, there's a great deal of uncertainty. His sister had come to stay with him for a little while in Texas. He couldn't even go to the door to get food when the delivery boy showed up. He needed somebody to do that. He couldn't put any weight on that knee because the part of the knee that was affected was weight-bearing. So long story short, he finds his way back. It took a full year for him to get back in a mode where he could be on the ice. And it's interesting and, and perhaps fortunate for Yanmark that standing around like waiting on the street corner to cross the street, he at that time could feel some pain in that knee. But when he's on the ice, doesn't affect him at all. So it's just amazing. And I'll be interested to hear if, if we have a chance to uh, hear Yanmark talk about where he is now. Because this is a few years ago. The season that he missed was the year prior to the Golden Knights' existence. So he came back for that 17-18 season. Now it's a few years off and um, how it might be for him uh, down the line. Different injuries, you recover different ways. But this wasn't an injury. Again, this was a rare genetic condition. And there was even a risk to his life, let alone um, his hockey career. So the 
resilience and, and you read some comments, you hear some things from friends and family members uh, and members of the Dallas Stars organization who supported him through all of this and um, impressed but not surprised by how he carried himself through the process. Just uh, another wrinkle in the personality of Matthias Janmark as we'll get to know him. Did they, so did, what approach did they use for the surgery? The cadaver situation or did they take cartilage from the other knee? What happened? Yeah, no, they, they, there was enough material in the knee that they did not need to go outside of the knee. There was enough, okay. and again, I'm no doctor, but no, they, they, uh, they did not have to pursue that other more <laughs> gruesome option. That would get your attention. Yeah, pretty, pretty oh, it quick. got my attention in reading about it, that's for sure. When you read the cadaver the story about a hockey player, it's not something yeah. you expect. Uh, it reminds me, it is a total side note, uh, when the it, Kurt Schilling, remember the whole bloody sock thing in 2004 with the Boston Red Sox, they had to basically uh, attach his, he had a sheared tendon in his ankle, and they, it was just kind of hanging around, and they had to stitch it to his skin. That's why the, the bloody sock was basically stitches and staples. To, so they had to, they've only, they had to test it on a cadaver. They, they, they figured, yeah. well, it worked. And he did okay. It worked out okay for him and the Red Sox, uh, if I remember correctly. Shane, uh, speaking of um, big-time performances, Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Now alone in fourth, Roberto Luongo's next up on the list, and, and, and Fleury does not have long to go to get to third all-time in wins. Um, he finally gets some run support in the last game. I think it was, what, uh, 10 goals in the previous seven games that the Golden Knights scored for him. But last night was a much different story. It just uh, what he's been able to accomplish uh, in his career, you know, from all those years ago, first overall pick with the Penguins until now, where Gary mentioned it last night on the radio, they've been playing games in the NHL for a long, long, long time. And he eventually is going to be the third winningest goaltending, uh, goaltender in the history of the game. Yeah, it's remarkable. Uh, I've, I'm always amazed at these guys that have, first off, longevity to play that long. And then what even makes it more incredible or special is to play at the level he does, uh, which is, is unique. And it's rare for guys to not only first have that longevity, but to be a star that long in their careers. And, and to hit 45, now four back, I believe, of Loango. So we'd hope and expect that him to sit number three by the end of this season. Um, you know, he went through that stretch not winning, but uh, a lot of that can be put on the players in front of him. He said no run support and, and a little bit of lapses uh, defensively. Um, but this is a guy who's not only carried his career, uh, you know, to, to what, Hall of Fame status, but he's done it uh, by not losing, you know, himself. He, he's humble. He's generous. He's fun. He approaches the game like a 12-year-old kid still. Uh, nobody enjoys it more than him. Uh, you know, you could go on and on about Mark andre Fleury and his accolades for what he does, but what impresses me almost even more is the person he is. Uh, that's what makes him really, really special. Lawman, I heard you run down a lot of goalies last night on the radio. Turk Broda made the conversation. Johnny Bauer, Jerry Cheevers, <laughs> Ken Dryden. All, the, all the goalies he used to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Turk Brodus, Turk Brodus, thirty-three all time. Uh, it's just amazing the names that that he's passed. You know, uh, obviously we know he just got past Belfour and Lunkvist, but Curtis Joseph at seven, Terry Sawchuk at eight, Jacques Plante at nine, Tony Esposito at ten. You know, on and on and on. Dominic Hasek at fifteen. Uh, it just uh, like it's kind of weird to be in the presence of 
Like he's a living legend. Like that's it's as simple as that. He's going to finish third, probably third, maybe second. I don't know how long he, he's going to go among, amongst wins all time. And it's just uh, it's incredible. It's uh, it's really fun to watch. You you, you know you, we're we're always worried about the 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 micro that what's happening that night. But the macro is that he's one of the greatest athletes ever to do what he does, and that's stop pucks. And you're, you know, to your point, Gary and, and Dan, I wanted to kind of have you chime in on this. I think sometimes when you're when you're real close to it, like we are, you know, we follow day to day what's going on with this team. Um, sometimes, what's that old saying? You, you can't see the forest for the trees. I think every once in a while, it's important to step back and look at the forest. It just what he's been able to accomplish in this game. Look, there were times, and we remember, you know, his days in Pittsburgh, the glory days, but also some real rough patches uh, pulled from playoff series, supplanted by Matt Murray. We know what happened here in the playoffs last year, and he's been able to kind of continue to rise up and and really, you know, end up here in the upper echelon of, of just great, great goalies in the history of the game. And I think sometimes day-to-day we can kind of lose focus of just what a remarkable career he's had. Yeah, I'll run you some numbers, Dave. Just in the top three, so Martin Brodeur at 691. I don't know if anybody's ever going to catch Martin Brodeur, 691. Patrick Watt, 551. As Gary mentioned, that's um, it's doable. Might be might take a few years, but Fleury now at 485 with Luongo at 489. So that could happen in the next couple of weeks. So again, Brodeur at 691, Wa 551, Luongo at 489, Fleury at 485. Throw in another 81 playoff wins. 81 playoff wins is sixth in NHL history. Of course, there are a lot more playoff games now than there were in the old days, but still, Fleury sixth there. But out of those 485 regular season wins, 110 with the Golden Knights. You mentioned the controversies there in Pittsburgh. On the outs, Murray taking over. Maybe his career was coming to an end. Maybe he'd have a swan song with the Golden Knights. Not expected to be a successful franchise at the outset. Now here he is, 110 wins, and throw in a shortened season last year, an abbreviated season this year. And by the way, he missed two months in the inaugural season. So you got 110 wins in just shy of four seasons with the Golden Knights. That's a pretty big chunk of the 485, 110 with the Golden Knights. And it's, it's interesting when you look at it, Shane. I was just thinking about this the other day. Where the, So the guys in the top four or five, let's throw Belfour in that list, all of them, with the exception of, of Marty Brodeur, you know, they had great runs with, a, with different teams, right? I mean, you think about Patrick Waugh with Montreal, goes to Colorado, wins it right away, wins another one after that. Eddie Belfour, great runs, great years in Chicago, goes to Dallas and wins it. Uh, Luongo never did win it, but sure as heck had, you know, um, you know, between the Islanders, Florida twice, Vancouver, great runs, and, and now Fleury, where they, they've been able to do it. And maybe Fleury's the most remarkable because of the situation he was coming into here. Expansion team, no one ever dreamed that first year would ever work out the way it did. But, you know, with the exception of Brodeur, those top five have been able to go to different places and have great runs to climb the all-time wins list. Well, they have, and I think that, you know, the ability to adapt, and I think Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, he's a huge reason why they were a success. Um, you know, that first year, especially look at that run to the Stanley Cup, look at his numbers, just incredible numbers in year one. 
Uh, and then, you know, the other thing, you talk about all those goalies, to get to those numbers, which you don't see now, goalies don't start young in this league. You know, defensemen and goalies usually take more. We're seeing young defensemen start to really advance. But, you know, young goalies, even Carter Hart, who's supposed to be, the, you know, it's, it's falling off. It's not easy to win and then to have that longevity and then a resurgence, if you want to call it, for Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, that, that speaks to maybe his greatest and most overlooked uh, asset, his competitiveness. Because uh, we always see him smiling. You always see him, oh, having fun. But man, he is competitive and he believes in himself and he is not going to be denied. And I think that is a driving force. If you want to be an elite athlete, everybody has to be competitive to be in the league. But not only that, his willingness to to want to be better and better and better and believe he belongs in that net each and every night and compete. That, that, that's what dri- has driven him to where his success is at right now. He's never finished higher than fourth in the Vezina voting. There are 14 games left. You guess maybe he gets half of those. Where does he fit in the Vezina voting this year? Does he have a shot to win it? Does he get into the top three, meaning he's one of the finalists? Because he's never finished higher than fourth. He's got to believe he's got to be in the top three. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Some of those other guys, they they would trade that, right, (laughs) for for the three cups. Your point, Shane, of – you know, young goalies in the league, and I'm just kind of taking a peek at this, they were humble beginnings for Fleury. He had yes. four wins his first year. So, they, you know, on, on not good Penguins teams, you think about 03, 04, he went 4-14-2. Lockout year comes, he goes to the AHL, plays the whole year with Wilkes-Barre, then played the next year was when he kind of broke through with the Penguins. But even that year, 13-27-6. You know, this is... Well, especially his first year. This is pre-Malkin. This is pre-Crosby. This is pre-the building blocks for those great teams that they had and you make an argument still have. I mean, Crosby and Malkin are still the driving forces behind uh, behind the Penguins to this day. But, yeah, it took him it took him a while. Uh, what was it we had last year? I think it was last year. We asked him back when we could talk to the players, uh, person to person. You know, what do we remember? What do you remember about his first win in the NHL? And I, I think they they got outshot. The Penguins did by the Kings, like forty eight to fifteen or something. And he lost two nothing, but was the number one star of the game. He had forty six <laughs> saves. <laughs> That's how bad they were back then. They were not a good team. So a lot has changed since then. Hey, what about the other goalie? Go ahead, Lawman. You want to make a point? Well, just before we leave Flurry and Dan's discussion amongst Vesna, Vasilevsky, Grubauer, and Flurry are your finalists. Hellebuck just on the edge, but uh, those three guys, and I think the last uh, last month here, we'll have a lot to say about who actually wins. Vasilevsky probably has a little bit of an edge on the field right now. We'll see what Fleury and, uh, and Grubauer can accomplish down the stretch. Al Grubauer, as we sit here as well, uh, on the COVID-19 protocol list. Going to so take wonder, a rest for about two weeks. Yep. Yeah, how much time he might miss. So uh, what about the other goalie? Robin Leonard, so misses the month and a half of the concussion, 6-0-1 since his return. Um, I've got to believe that uh, this is how they drew it up, Shane, when, look, they thought they fought for a year now, over a year. They've had one of the best goalie tandems in the league. And you've got Fleury now that had a little bit of a dip, but, you know, has the big win to, to get to fourth all-time in wins. And Leonard hasn't lost in regulation, knock on wood, since he's come back to the lineup. What, what's his record in regular season? Is it 12-1-2 and two now? Yes. That sounds right, yes. That's, that, like, think about that. 12-1-2. and two. 
regular season yep. since coming to the Golden Knights. Just incredible. And you, you couldn't draw a bigger contrast between two goalie styles than Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. Uh, and I think that's a, you know, that's a great tool to have is to have these two goalies to play completely different. Leonard's such a big guy. Fleury's so athletic. Um, but when it comes down to it, the, the main purpose of that position is to stop the puck. I don't care how you do it. Just stop the puck. And they both have that ability. And Leonard, um, yeah, it's, it, it is, is remarkable. And, you know, the stats prove they are the number one tandem, tandem when you look at goals against. Um, so it's, it, it, it's really good. This is why they wanted to keep them both. I think this is something that really uh, makes them a favorite. Uh, they've got the talent up front defensively, but goaltending, as we all know, when it gets to playoffs, you need a hot goaltender. Well, they could have two. Lawman, I thought I looked like you wanted to add to that, no? Well, I would just say that, you know, we talked about the Vesna. Right now, Leonard and Fleury are in line to win the Jennings. They lead the league in goals against with uh, the league low at 94. So that's, um, and I wonder if that trophy would mean more to Marc-Andre Fleury. I get the Vezina is an individual one. Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, obviously he's a, a, a fantastic individual player. He's also a great teammate. That's why he's got those three cups. That Jennings is often, that's often an indicator of a team on its way to win the Stanley Cup. Guys, I wanted to go around the horn here before we kind of close this. So the NHL trade deadline, there were the fewest deals made this year in a long time. Uh, you know, a lot of reasons, right? Flat cap, COVID-19, um, limited capacity in buildings, the whole nine yards. Lawman, I want to kind of start with you. Who do you think helped themselves the most? Which team, as you look around the league at the deadline? I love what the New York Islanders did. I, I think that they got players that fit in their room. Kyle Palmieri is a really good player. And uh, Travis Ajak, we'll see if he can crank it up a little bit once the playoffs start. I think he's made for playoff hockey. They're, they they added to depth down their middle. They got size. They got they got smarts, and they got character. Dubes, how do you see it? You look around and you say that team took a big step forward. Yeah, I, I'm with Gary on the Islanders. I also think about the Avalanche, considering talk about the goalie situation with Vegas. You got Fleury and Leonard. That was not the case with Colorado and a variety of challenges there. So you got Grubauer, who had been playing almost every game. They get Devin Dubnik, and just as that happens, Grubauer ends up on the COVID list. And watching the game Colorado played against St. Louis last night, you know, Dubnik seemed to be fighting a potential injury too. And they also bring in Soderberg and Nemeth. So again, not splashes, but um, maybe some support pieces. When we think about the Golden Knights strength, the goaltending that we just broke down, if uh, Grubauer is healthy, if Dubnik is healthy, I wonder if that allows them to um, go deeper into the postseason. Um, that's something that they've not been able to rely on. It's been heavy on Grubauer, and who knows what kind of a toll it might take on him. So that's the thought that comes to mind, especially considering where Colorado stands in, in the league overall. Uh, and, and we've seen them in person quite a bit this year and a couple more games between the Knights and the Avalanche. Sheriff, what do you think? Well, it's interesting guys pick the Islanders. The only reason I'm not is I'm not going to touch that division in the East. They all did something. Washington got Mantha. The Islanders, Sajak and Paul Mary. Boston, Taylor Hall. Um, and what's the other? Uh, the the Leafs. Penguins, Penguins got Carter. So, yeah, that, uh, my pick is the Leafs because I look at that North division. They're really the only team that did anything. 
Like, yeah. and, and that they did it because they believe they can walk out of there. That's a great chance to find, to walk uh, to the semifinals. And, you know, the, I, I think Nick Felino's a huge ad, huge ad for them. I think, you know, goaltending's been a question. They picked up David Riddick, which, you know, you're not going to get wowed by that. But if Freddie Anderson gets healthy, Jack Campbell just set a record for starts uh, winning. And, you know, that's a deep team up there. They already have the talent, but they've added – They've added a lot of the right pieces. They even started, you know, with Simmons, Thornton, and now you got Felino, some, some leadership to go with that youthful talent of, uh, you know, Matthews and Marner and Nylander and listen, Tavar. Like, Toronto's legit this year. As much as it pains me, uh, it really does. It hurts to, to say this, but, uh, you know, that, that division to me is the most, Favorable with one team, you know. You, I look at the you know the West. The, to me, it's Vegas and Colorado. You look at the the East, and then you look at the other one. Like all of a sudden, the Panthers, Tampa, Carolina, who didn't do anything, but really probably didn't need to. Um, it, it, it is a tough sledding out east. I think up north, Toronto, uh, with, with what they've done, they've, they've made themselves clear favorites. Riley Nash as well, right? I mean, not, Riley not Nash, gonna, another piece, yes. He'll be ready for the playoffs. He's not. He's injured right now. But, well, yeah. And it, t- t- in Tampa, we don't mention it, but they got a huge piece coming back too, right? Like, they're, uh, he's still hurt, but when Kucherov is ready to, to wind it up, that's going to be a pretty big ad at the, for the start of the playoffs. And they added David Savard. Uh, yeah. You know, on the blue line. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's obvious Toronto's all in. I mean, they're all in. Uh, it, it, you know, they, they haven't, as great as they've they've been able to kind of build their team up with these terrific young players, the, the playoffs has been the issue, right? They haven't been able to gain really any traction. The good news for them is they're not going to run into Boston in the first round again this year because <laughs> that seems to be the problem, you know. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that North Division is there for the taking. And then, you know, I was asking Shane and Gary this the other day, and I, I because I was curious, so we, you know, you, you stay within your division, right, the first two rounds. But then they reseed, right? So once you get to the semifinals, they reseed by points in the regular season, which, you know, the Golden Knights might play Tampa in the semifinals, right? That'd be pretty, uh, that'd be pretty cool, especially if the radio guys could travel. That would be great. That'd be really Wouldn't good. Wouldn't mind that at all. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's that'd be fantastic. It's weird how uh, I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere without you two next time. Dan, Dan scared me on that flight home. I need some protection. I did what now? If yeah, the hands scared me was on the return flight. service, but I have to tell this story. Dan and I are on a Southwest flight going from St. Louis to Vegas. It's a six in the morning flight. The flight is jammed. I get a spot in the exit row and I'm kind of trying to save another spot for Dan. And sure enough, uh, he gets into the other spot. So the, the middle seat is empty, but the, the pilot keeps saying every seat is full. Every seat is full. Take the first seat. If all the, all the, all the, all that's left is middle seats. And Dan starts waving the hands and telling a story. And I'm like, he's, he's awful worked up over nothing. Like, what's going on here? And it, it's a psychological ploy. He was trying to act like a madman so that no one would want to sit between us. And it worked. We had the six only the middle morning. seat left on the plane. Yes. Yeah, well, oh, thanks for giving away great. my well secrets, done, Gary. Now everybody knows how to, how to manage to find the best spot on a Southwest no, no, flight. No, 
You're you're a radio guy. No one recognizes you on the there plane. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, this guy looks like he's board. bananas. Well, no, I, I, yes, I, exactly. I, I thought it was uh, especially at that hour of the morning. If I were just a regular passenger getting on the plane and I saw two people at six a.m. in a heated exchange back and forth, I sure as hell wouldn't want to interrupt that conversation. So I had lots of material, like we had the lights out in Brooklyn a few years ago. I had all kinds of topics ready to go to keep talking and engaging Gary, so that people wouldn't want to, you know. <laughs> Between us. Gary, you must have been thinking, what the hell's going on here? It's only I 6 was. in the morning. I'm, like, I'm not ready for this. so worked up? Like, yeah. I'm trying to put my headphones in to, to like, I, I want to watch a movie, Dan. Stop telling me this story. I mean, Dave and Shane, would either of you really want to sit between me and Gary on an airplane? Come on. No. Those, that poor male or female, never to recover from that experience. <laughs> Well, say the everybody least. made the wise choice. They all walked right, right past our row. That's a great approach. I'm going to have to remember that. That's fantastic. All right, guys, anything else on the top of mind? Or that's pretty much a wrap. Uh, are we good to go? Thanks. Good to go. Good All stuff. Right. One uh, final reminder again, Golden Knights tickets. Next two home games, April 19th, 21st, available against San Jose. Check it out, VegasGoldenKnights.com slash tickets. And thank you for tuning in to this edition, the latest edition, post-trade deadline edition of the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>